While You Were Folding, Episode 13, Starting a Kids Book Club. Hi, I'm Catherine Boucher, and you're listening to While You Were Folding. This show is my weekly excuse to talk about my favorite things, marriage, parenting, faith, friendship, culture, what I'm reading and watching, and whatever else strikes my fancy. I've been a wife for 10 years and a mother for eight. I won't pretend to be an expert. I will introduce you to some amazing guests, ask a whole bunch of questions, invite you into the conversation, and encourage you to share what you heard while you were folding. Let's start today's episode with a prayer. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Father of mercy, we are just about at the end of Lent. The day this episode records, we're smack in the middle of Holy Week on Wednesday, and tomorrow we will have Holy Thursday and all of the beautiful liturgical celebrations that you've given us to really enter more deeply into what this time means to better understand your passion, your death, your resurrection, and all of those moments and how they should affect us very deeply, just to understand that you did all of that for us individually, not us as a whole church, but us specifically. Help us to trust in that love, to lean on you completely, and to really believe that you love us that much. And as we gaze at the crucifix this week, may we more fully understand and believe in that love. We pray this through your name. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. All right, so this week, the main topic, I'm going to be talking about how our daughter Jane and I started a kids book club. But before that, I wanted to share just a couple of random potpourri items. So this time of year is super special for our family because Philip, my husband and I, we met on Holy Saturday during our sophomore year of college back in 2005. And I wanted to just share about that story because it was so sweet and I love the way that we met. And I thought you might enjoy getting to hear about it too. So I'll share the abridged version today, and then maybe I'll have Philip come back on the show closer to our anniversary in May, and he can talk about our proposal story. Um, So like I said, it was Holy Saturday, our sophomore year of college, and at the time I was living in a sorority house. I was an alpha fee at the University of Nebraska. Meanwhile, Philip being the wise, responsible young man that he was, lived in the honors dorms, and he was pre-med, and he picked me up at the sorority house. But before we get there, I have to say, we found out about one another because we had mutual friends that knew that we were both going to be working at a summer camp at the end of our sophomore year. And the overnight summer camp, we were both going to be cabin counselors there. And our mutual friend said, oh, you have to get to know each other before you work together all summer. And so we exchanged at this point 
uh, Facebook was brand new. And so we had gotten each other's names from our mutual friends and exchanged a couple of messages via Facebook. (laughs) And then, um, Philip said, well, why don't we just get together on Saturday morning and get to know each other over breakfast? So he came and he picked me up at the sorority house and we had coffee and bagels and we went to the downtown Starbucks and got to know each other over a game of Scrabble. And for the record, I won. (laughs) And I think it was five hours later that we left And we had had such great conversation, and he was so easy to talk to, and I felt like I had known him forever by the time we finally walked back to the sorority house. But it was just so awesome and refreshing to have this time with a young man, and I knew it was just supposed to be us getting to know each other, but I walked back into that sorority house, and I ran up after we said goodbye, I ran upstairs to my friend Kristen, and I shut the door and I said, I am marrying that man. (laughs) I had already decided the day that I met Philip that I was going to marry him. And if you ask him, he'd probably say, oh yeah, I liked her and whatever. But um, I don't know that he would have said he was going to marry me that day. But I will never forget Philip Boucher on Holy Saturday, sophomore year of college. And this last weekend, we had a chance to go out for a date. And we, um, since we live in the same city where we went to college, we got to go downtown and we ate at an awesome Indian restaurant called The Oven. And then after that, we went across the street to The Mill, which is this really great coffee shop. And we played a game of Scrabble. And I am sorry and sad to report that Philip did indeed win (laughs) because... Being the math science guy that he is, he's much more into the strategy, whereas I was much more into the awesome words that I could come up with. And unfortunately, Scrabble does not always honor or reward the person who comes up with the great words. So Philip would try to figure out those silly letters like Q and Z and use them to his advantage. And yeah, so can you tell I'm a little bit bitter? (laughs) I'm the fifth out of six kids. I'm a little competitive. So anyway, so it was fun to get to play Scrabble. And we'll share uh, in a future episode about how Scrabble was involved in our proposal. But it was great to get to have a great date night with Philip this last weekend. And then we picked up dessert from one of our favorite restaurants, Piedmont Bistro, and brought it home. And we got to watch a show, and I'll get to that show a little bit later on. Um, But this week, we have another reason this time of year is really special for us is because we have Dorothy, our youngest, is turning two on Wednesday, the day that this podcast releases, March 28th. She was our Easter Monday baby. And holy cow, her labor lasted forever. And I think the correct term for what I experience every time I go into labor is called padromal, prodromal labor. I don't know how to pronounce it, but basically I started laboring probably around, well, you wouldn't call it active labor, but I had pretty serious contractions starting around week 35. And with each pregnancy, I start having my contractions start up earlier and earlier and earlier. But anyway, 
with Dorothy. She was actually born Easter Monday, but I started laboring hardcore Holy Saturday. So much so that even though she is my fifth pregnancy, I said, Philip, I think we need to get to the hospital. His mom came over to the house. We had planned to have her come and be with the kids. But that Holy Saturday, I said, yeah, we need to call your mom and have her come over. We went to the hospital, got ourselves settled. They hooked me up to the monitor. And sure enough, I was having really strong contractions lasting 90 seconds each every three to four minutes. And this went on for hours and hours and hours. But unfortunately, they weren't making anything happen. (laughs) They were super painful and I could barely walk. And yet the hospital said, we need to send you home because technically where you are, without getting into the gory details for any male listeners I may have, Hi, Father Mattia, if you're if you're listening. Um, yeah, they sent me home because they said I was not technically in active labor. So we were so disappointed and we got released from the hospital and Philip said, well, my mom's at home with the kids. Let's take this as our last chance to have a date night before we go home. So we went out to dinner and then Philip said, okay. Are you still having these contractions? And as he could tell by my face every 90 seconds because of how much pain I was in, he said, why don't we just go walk around the mall and see if we can get things started that way? And so we did. And then by the time the mall closed, we said, it's probably just time for us to go home and try to get a good night's sleep and we'll enjoy Easter tomorrow. So we went home and I did not sleep very much and I totally cried. when we laid down to go to bed. And Philip's mom was so sweet. She actually stayed the night on the couch just in case I did go into labor. But I didn't. And we woke up and sent her on her way the next morning. And fortunately, we had already gotten all the kids Easter baskets or the Easter bunny, right? (laughs) Got the Easter baskets prepared. Um, And we had a beautiful Easter morning with the kids. I was exhausted and Philip's mom graciously hosted us for a great brunch that later that morning after we went to mass. And then I continued going in and out of contractions that whole day and Easter evening. And then we, um, my doctor scheduled an induction for me the next morning on Monday. And Dorothy was born that afternoon, and she was our biggest baby yet at nine pounds, four ounces. And Philip and I like to keep the baby's sex a surprise until they're born. And our tradition is once the baby's born, then Philip looks at the baby, and he is always the one who tells me and announces to me it's a boy or it's a girl and hands me the baby once he or she has been checked out, make sure they're breathing and doing okay. And he hands the baby to me. And so when Dorothy was born, we had kind of a scary moment. She had, um, it's called shoulder dystocia, where the shoulder gets stuck. And we had a couple of, it was probably only 30 seconds or so, but it felt like forever of the doctor trying to quickly and gently get Dorothy out. But because she was so big, she was stuck for a little bit. But 
Philip evaluated her really quickly after she was born because of his pediatric experience just to make sure her arms were okay. And she was, and he told me she was a girl and that she was doing great despite all of the problems that she had had arriving. And I just started sobbing. I was so happy. And we we always say we don't care whether our babies are boys or girls. And we've stopped saying we just hope it's a healthy baby because we've grown to know so many awesome families that have been blessed by children that aren't born healthy, but are born exactly the way that God created them. And so we just say we hope that we're ready for whatever child God blesses us with. And so when he told me it's a girl and told me that she was okay after her scary last couple of minutes of delivery, I had no idea how much my heart was really yearning for a girl because at that point we had had our daughter Jane and then we had had Walt and we had a miscarriage and we thought that that baby was a girl and we named her Therese and then God blessed us with another boy, Harold. And so we had one girl on earth and I think I was really hoping for a girl. So the moment that Dorothy was born, I was just overjoyed once I knew that she was okay and um, yeah. So this week we get to celebrate our beautiful baby girl, Dorothy Jo, and her middle name comes from my grandmother, my dad's mom, Josephine, and the name Dorothy, we, I have always been a really big fan of Dorothy Day's story, and I've been learning more about her life, and it's not a family name. I know it's super old school, but I just love the name Dorothy, and it actually means gift from God. So happy birthday, Dorothy. We love you so much and you bring so much joy to our family. And I can't wait to see what this year has in store for us because I know a lot of people give the terrible twos that year of life just a bad rap, but I think, oh man, two is such a fun age. They learn so much and Dorothy, holy cow, she is all She's already so verbal and she has learned so much and not because I'm such an amazing mom, but this girl somehow has already, it must be a fourth born thing, um, but she's, she knows her colors and she is just absolutely adorable. And we love you, Dorothy. Um, and also next time I'll have an update for you. I, on Tuesday morning of this week, am having my general confession with my spiritual director. And I mentioned that before to all of you. And as a review, a recap, a general confession is basically a chance for you to share the big picture narrative of your life, not just the moments where you had personal culpability or fault for sins that you have made, but also moments in your life where you've been affected by woundedness because of sin. And so I'm excited and looking forward to that. I've been preparing during my morning prayer time for these past few weeks. And so I'll share about that sometime in a future episode. And I really wanted to share a show recommendation. So Philip and I watched the first episode of a show that's on Netflix, and it's called Somebody Feed Phil. The show was released in 2018, so they only have one season recorded so far, but they have six episodes. Philip and I have only seen uh, episode one, and the gist of this show, the way I would describe it, is it's a documentary 
and the main guy, his name is Phil Rosenthal, and you might recognize the name because he's actually the creator of the show Everybody Loves Raymond with Ray Romano. And I would compare this show to another show with Anthony Bourdain. Anthony Bourdain is this chef culinary expert who travels the world on his show. And he is pretty crass and there's quite a bit of language and innuendo and so on. I have to admit, I like Anthony Bourdain and I enjoy watching him. (laughs) You can send me hate mail. That's okay. But um, I just find him humorous. Sometimes he's over the top. But this show is such a delight. And I would say, I don't know about the other episodes. We've only seen episode one. I think you could even watch this one with kids. Um, In episode one, this character, not character, a guy, it's a documentary, Phil Rosenthal, he is traveling the world. And in the first episode, he is in Bangkok, Thailand. For each episode of the show, he's going to be in a different location. And so he's traveling the world, sampling the cuisine and learning about the cultures of the places where he is for each episode. And so in Bangkok, he, in part of the show, is in a um, market that's on the water, and he's traveling via this little rickety wooden boat and going from one station to the next to the next, sampling the food in this market on the water. And he's in the middle of the busy city, and he's talking to this author, and he's talking to this woman. He goes to an elephant habitat uh, preserve, I don't know what you call it, and gets to be with elephants and feed them. And then he goes to a couple other places. But the reason I love this show is because this guy, Phil... Unlike Anthony Bourdain, he's the, Phil is the Jewish antithesis <laughs> of Anthony Bourdain. He is so delightfully thrilled about every single thing that he eats. He is not at all cynical or jaded. He is just, it's as if every single bite of food that he eats on this show is the best thing he's ever had in his life. And he has this way of describing everything that he eats so well that it makes you really want to go wherever he is and find the exact thing. So he's awesome. I really enjoyed it. Philip really enjoyed it too. So we recommend it's called Somebody Feed Phil. It's on Netflix. There's only one season, but after one episode, we're hooked and I look forward to watching the rest of it. I can't speak to the rest of the episode, so if it goes downhill from here, I'm sorry. <laughs> but but so far, we're really enjoying Somebody Feed Phil. And if you're also looking for a culinary show that you can watch with your kids, we have been huge super fans of the show Top Chef ever since it started. And they recently started Top Chef Junior. And so we watched that with our kids. We don't have cable, so we had to stream it. And of course, I can't remember which channel we had to stream it on. Top Chef is on Bravo, but Top Chef Junior, I want to say it's on Universal. But anyway, you can find it and stream it somehow like we did. And we loved it. We loved watching that one as a family. I highly recommend that one. 
because the kids on that show, they cheer each other on and they learn about sportsmanship and they learned so much about their own skills as chefs. So if you and your family are all about cooking and you enjoy Top Chef, you would love Top Chef Junior. I have to tell you about some books that I have read lately that I really want to recommend to you. So it just so happens that all three of the ones that I'm recommending today are audiobooks. And I have just had this string of great audiobooks and I wanted to be sure and quickly go through them and share them with you. So the first one is called The Immortal Life of Henrietta Lacks, and the author's name is Rebecca Sklute. In this story, those of you who are from the science field may know a little bit about the story of Henrietta Lacks. Henrietta Lacks was an African-American woman, mother of five young children, and she became ill with a terminal case of cervical cancer and ended up dying probably as a result from the horrendous radiation therapy that she underwent. But the reason her life story is important, and we're still talking about Henrietta Lacks today, is because a doctor biopsied her tumor from her cervical cancer and used those cells and took them to his lab and continued to divide and multiply those cells for research and allowed those cells to be sent to labs throughout the world. And those cells are spe- are responsible for so many of the scientific advances we have today. Just a couple to rattle off a few would be the polio vaccine. We have some of the cells being sent to outer space. Apparently, some of them were also used for... Um, creating some bombs and creating other vaccines that we have today. So her cells um, are responsible for so many of our different scientific advances. And unfortunately, because of the time and the way that things were handled, this was before the age of HIPAA laws and privacy and consent and so on. And so Henrietta Lacks' family was not informed and did not give permission for those cells to be used. And many of the family members live in poverty and were never educated and feel that it was a disservice to their family that they were never compensated at all for the use of um, Henrietta's cells. And so it's an interesting story in the sense that you get the narrative of Henrietta Lacks and her family and what the family life actually looked like. And then you also get the science side of it and how Henrietta cells, they're also called the HeLa cells for those from a science background who might know a little bit about that. But I loved this story. I loved the audiobook because I felt so invested in Henrietta and her children, especially her daughter Deborah's life. And I was so invested in learning more about the science and the ethical dilemma of having um, patients having to give consent for all of the tissues, anything that they give over to a hospital and what a hospital can and cannot do with those cells. So very interesting title. I loved learning all about it and I want to learn more. So I loved that one, The Immortal Life of Henrietta Lacks. Next one is a parenting book. This was by Dr. Michelle Borba. It's called Unselfie. Why Empathetic Kids Succeed in Our All About Me World. 
And again, this one I listened to on audio. And I liked this one because, not because the performance of the audio was so great, but because the um, information about why empathy is important, I thought was so great. And I loved how the author did such a great job of sharing different anecdotes and research and ways that the science upholds what she's talking about, but also just the practicals of how a parent can try to employ different strategies to make a child grow in empathy at different ages and stages. So I loved that one. The last one is probably my favorite of the three. It's called The Lucky Few, Finding God's Best in the Most Unlikely Unlikely Places by Heather Avis. And some of you might know Heather. She has a really popular Instagram account called Macy Makes My Day. And this one I also found on audio. And Heather was the narrator, the mom, the author. And she shares the story about how Heather and her husband suffered through many years of infertility and what a struggle that was, and then deciding to pursue adoption and then finding out that there were adoptable children that had Down syndrome that were ready to be adopted. And Heather and her husband prayed about it and decided that they were going to pursue adopting one of those children that had Down syndrome that were not being placed because few families were open to that possibility. And then she adopts that child with her husband. And then shortly thereafter, they have another adoption. And today they have three beautiful children through the gift of adoption. And I love her story. I love not only how she shares the narrative of how everything came together, but she is so honest and real about the emotions that her and her husband were feeling along the way through each step. And I so appreciated her vulnerability and the way she was able to put herself back into that situation and say exactly how she was feeling. Because without that honesty, I think you're not painting the full picture of what adoption looks like, especially adopting a child that has special needs. And she didn't only share the difficulties, she shared the moments of triumph, the moments that she was brought to her knees in gratitude, the moments where things did not go how they were planned in her plan, but how they turned out even better, and how she could never have even thought of God putting things together the way he did. And so I just, I love their story. I've been following her social media accounts for a couple of years. And Heather actually just launched last week during World Down Syndrome Day a new podcast, and it's called The Lucky Few. So I definitely recommend the book. I haven't had a chance to check out the podcast yet, but if it's anything like her social media account, I'm sure it's going to be awesome. So check out the book. It's called The Lucky Few, Finding God's Best in the Most Unlikely Places by Heather Avis. I want to know, what are you reading or watching lately? Please send me your recommendations. As always, you can email them to me at podcast at katherineboucher.com. Okay, so let's talk about starting a kid's book club. Our daughter Jane is in second grade, and she has become a huge, voracious reader. This girl, 
She, on the weekends, has quiet time while the other kids are sleeping, and she will just go through books like it's nobody's business. And I would say that reading has always been something that's really important to our family. And I've been trying to learn a lot more about reading aloud, and I've done that through listening to the Read Aloud Revival podcast with Sarah McKenzie. And I have gotten a lot of title recommendations from a book called Honey for a Child's Heart. And I can remember the author's first name, Gladys. I cannot remember her last name, but it's called Honey for a Child's Heart. And that book is full of awesome gold recommendations for titles. So Philip and I, we try to model reading when we have a moment of free time, instead of picking up the phone, we try to sit down and read a book to whoever's nearby us or playing nearby us or reading a book ourselves. And we like to talk with the kids about the books that we're reading, and they like to share what they're reading with us. And usually every night before bedtime, whenever possible, we have read aloud time when everyone colors at the dinner table. And I read aloud from a book while everyone's in their jammies. And then we have our family prayer time and go to bed. We're currently reading The Indian in the Cupboard. And that one has been a big hit. And I, <laughs> oh, if you all could be a fly on the wall while I'm reading that one. I read this one when I was a fourth grader and I had not looked at it since then. But it's been a, a fun, entertaining read and the kids are enjoying it. And in a future episode, we can talk more about our family read aloud time. But anyway, this year I started attending a book club and Jane has been a little bit jealous that I'm part of a book club. And she said that she wanted to start one on her own. So we said, yeah, of course, let's make this happen. So Jane said that she wanted to sit down with me and do it. And we figured out what the format was going to be. So we decided we want our meetings to happen once a month. And we come together on Saturday mornings for an hour and a half. And we've decided that we're just always going to have the meetings at our house. That way, it doesn't become a burden for the other families. And it will just eliminate the headache of figuring out who's going to host when. And we're happy to do it. Because Jane, being a second grader, is our oldest. And we're not in the chapter of having to haul kids all over the place. And we're trying to keep it that way. So we're happy to have it here. And we said we wanted to keep it fairly small in size so that the girls can have good discussion. Jane wanted to keep it to girls, too. So um, it's just Jane and five other girls. And each month, one of the girls is going to lead the meeting. And I'll help her to lead the meeting. And the girl is responsible for choosing the title that we read as a group and then She's going to come up with a couple of questions ahead of time for us to discuss. And I make sure and I read the book ahead of time and come up with a couple of questions of my own in case the discussion comes to a standstill. So Jane and I created the invitations on a great website that I love to use. You can create a free account. It's called Canva, C-A-N-V-A dot com. And no, I'm not getting paid to tell you about it, but I just love their free design options that they have on there. And then I had Jane write out the invitations, the addresses to her classmates, because I didn't want her 
talking about it at school and having anyone feel badly that they weren't included in it. But I also wanted her to be able to keep it small so that they could have more of a good quality conversation for the meetings. So the invitation, it just included the logistical information of the date, the title we were reading, and the time and what the meeting would look like. And so Jane put those in the mail and then her friends would discreetly tell her, oh yes, I'm planning on coming. And their moms would send me messages and tell me how excited they were. In fact, I think three of the moms told me that their daughters read the book two times through (laughs) and they were just all excited about it and couldn't wait for it. And so that was super adorable. And the moms were all very supportive and excited about trying to get the girls together to talk about books because who doesn't love their kids getting excited about reading? I just thought it was adorable. Um, The hardest part for me was trying, since Jane was going to be leading the first meeting and choosing the first title, it was so hard for me not to try and steer her in one way or another for what title she should select. So I was totally hands off. And Jane chose Who Was Lucille Ball by Pam Pollock. (laughs) And it just warmed my little heart that that was the title that she chose. Are you familiar with this series, the Who Was books? I think they're great for kids who are just getting started on reading. Um, The Who Was series, they feature books about different famous historical figures, male and female from all different uh, professions, ages, etc. And I thought that this was so adorable because Jane had never even heard of I Love Lucy. She didn't know who Lucille Ball was. She just saw the cover and thought that it looked great because she had read a bunch of these other books before. So I said, sure, let's do it. So Who Was Lucille Ball is the book. And to prepare for the meeting, I had baked some banana bread and just put out some fruit and some raspberry lemonade. And we were ready for everyone to arrive. And we had a little bit of social time while we waited for everyone to come. And then once we were ready, I had the girls all come in and sit around the kitchen table And this seemed like a casual hospitality thing, but really I had a strategy here. I wanted them to be around the kitchen table so that they had kind of a circle going on so they could have good eye contact and everyone could see one another. And then I also wanted them to have food right there so that their hands would be busy because they're second grade. And I thought we'll probably have better discussion around the kitchen table instead of in the family room, just sitting there. Because if their hands are busy with food and their mouths are full, it's probably going to be easier for them to take turns talking. I don't know if you've been around a group of second grade girls recently, but the volume can get a little bit loud (laughs) and they get easily distracted as well. So I thought, okay, if I have some tasty food and drink available for us and everyone has their books and they're sitting at a table, hopefully that'll help us to stay focused longer. And my goal was just to give them a sense of what a a real deal book club 
discussion looks like. But I also wanted to keep it fun. I wanted it to not feel intimidating because I want these girls, I want the whole experience just to be about them learning how to fall in love with reading and to be able to deepen their friendships because of it. And so I tried my best to allow Jane to really lead the discussion. She had prepared a list of questions before the girls came over. And so she started by asking the girls what they thought about the book. And she asked them a couple of different questions. And every now and then they'd start to go off on a tangent. And so I would try to draw on my teacher skills and redirect and bring them back when I needed to. Something that I thought was really important was to make sure at this very first meeting to model for them how to have a dissenting opinion about the book or a character. So this one, because it was nonfiction, it was a little bit different than if we had read a fiction book. But I tried to do this by saying, I didn't like it when, and then I'd share a part of the book where I didn't necessarily agree with something that Lucille Ball had done or a part where I thought it was strange that she made one choice instead of another. And so I I really thought it was important to model that because I wanted the girls to know it's okay. And in fact, what makes book club great is when there are different opinions. And so they started to get the hang of that right away. And they did such a great job by coming up with these different examples of times in the story where they thought something was strange, or they were really surprised by the way Lucille Ball did something specific, or the way Ricky Ricardo acted when dot dot dot. And it was so much fun to watch them get so passionate about this woman's life that none of them except for one had seen I Love Lucy or knew anything about her before this book club. And so I would ask them to expand on their answers. I'd ask them things like, why did you think that? Or, and how do you think that made so-and-so feel? Or what would you have done differently? Or how do you wish that that person had handled that situation? So it was great. I just, I loved the discussion and I tried to keep a close eye on things, but yet Jane was still leading things. And my role was more just to build on it and try and get the discussion to go farther and bring in the girls who were a little bit more quiet and make sure the ones who were a little bit more extroverted were allowing the other ones to have a voice too. But as things started to taper off and I could tell that they had said most of the things that they wanted to say, I invited them to come into the family room then at that point, and I had prepared, I had found a couple of clips from the show I Love Lucy just off of iTunes, or not iTunes, excuse me, off of YouTube, and the two scenes that I found were the Lucy's famous chocolate scene when Lucy and her neighbor Ethel are at the chocolate factory, and they're trying to keep up with wrapping the chocolates, and they don't, and chaos ensues and the girls thought that that was hysterical and then the other scene was Lucy does the tango where she had put I think a dozen eggs into her blouse and Ricky comes home and wants to do the tango with Lucy and she's anticipating that he's going to want to hold her close to do this really romantic dance and of course he does and she ends up getting all of these eggs smashed on the two of them when he brings her in (laughs) for an embrace. So they watched those clips. And then after we were done with that, I asked the girl who's leading the next meeting to share which title she had selected. 
And she adorably is wanting to stick with our Who Was series of books, except this person is still living. So it is Who Is Pope Francis by Stephanie Spinner. And after we found out what the next title is, we just had a little bit of social time. And then it was time for the girls to be picked up. So I would say it was a very successful first meeting. All of the girls seem to have a great time. And they're all so excited for it to be their turn to pick a book. And they were rattling off all the different titles that they're excited to read. But I would love to create a list of titles that we think would be great for these girls to read for their book club. I would love to get your recommendations. Please email them to me at podcast at katherineboucher.com. But before our next meeting, our first grader, Walt, he is really excited to see that Jane is doing a book club. And so he wants to do his own. (laughs) He is our kid who asked for his own personal library kit for Christmas with the little checkout slips that you would have in the old school libraries before everything went digital. And he got a little stamp and puts the due date when someone borrows a book from his bedroom into it. And he's just, he has such a sweet little heart. And he has said that he does not want mom to lead it. He's asked Philip to lead his book club. And it's not going to be just boys. He wants his to be co-ed because Walt is a sweetheart and he has several friends who are girls. So stay tuned. Walt's book club is being created right now. Um, So yeah, that's our kids book club. That's what we're doing. I want to know if you've ever done a book club with your child. And if you have, tell me everything, because I don't know what I'm doing. We're making it up as we go, but so far, so good. But maybe you have some great tips or tricks or anything at all. I would love to hear what you have to say. Email me at podcast at katherineboucher.com. Before I go, I wanted to just say thank you. I have the absolute best listeners in the podcasting world Thank you so much for your feedback that you give me week after week after week. And as always, if you have a message that you send to me, please let me know if I can share it on the show. That way we can open it up for feedback from the rest of the listeners and maybe you can get more answers from everyone else. Also, I wanted to be sure and say thank you for the most recent review I got of the podcast on iTunes. It's from Catholic ROC Mom. She says for the title of her review, Feels Like Home. Catherine is an inspiring Catholic mom. Her podcast features insightful interviews with fascinating people who are living out their faith in unique ways. She also shares about books, the culture, and her family life with her physician husband and four children, including interviews with them. Catherine speaks to the audience like friends sharing a discussion over cups of coffee. Thank you so much for that awesome review, Catholic ROC Mom. That was so kind and generous of you to take the time to do that. And thank you to the rest of you who have already left a rating or a a review. As I've said in previous episodes, I don't understand it, but apparently the more reviews and ratings that a podcast gets, the more likely it is to get in front of new listeners. So thank you for doing that. And also, thank you for just organically one by one to each friend sharing the show with one another because despite my epic fails at trying to do the whole social media thing like a pro our audience keeps growing and I love this because I 
I'm going to just be completely real. This podcast, I'm loving doing it, but it's a hobby and I'm thrilled every time I hear that it's blessing someone's life, but I'm very firm in my resolve to keep it in its proper place. So I'm going to continue to always give it my best shot, but I know that God's going to do with it what he wants. So my hope and prayer is that it blesses all of you, dear listeners, who are giving up your time every week to tune in. And regardless of the audience size that we have for the show, I hope that in each episode you will hear at least one thing that inspires you and that you're inspired to share with at least one person. And as long as that's happening, I feel confident that it's worth my time to make sure and do this show. And I feel hopefully that it's blessing your lives because of the feedback that I get from you week after week after week. That's going to do it. So thank you for listening. I hope you're having a blessed Holy Week. And I pray that you have a blessed start to your Easter season because it's not going to be over on Easter Sunday. It goes on until Pentecost. So keep enjoying the celebration. Until next time, don't be afraid to begin again and share what you heard while you were folding.